0: Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the Hoopheads Podcast. I'm Marlon Guild, and along with my co-host, Matt Collier, we'll analyze everything from hoops to hip hop. Check us out.
1: Hey, Hoop heads. we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off.
0: Welcome to another episode of Bleachers and Boards, brought to you by the HOOPHEADS podcast. I'm Marlon Gill, and of course I have my co-host with me, Matt Collier. Matt, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Excited for another great episode. How you been doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Just had our third week of practice. Okay. Okay. You guys are getting after it? I'm trying, man. Trying. A ho- whole new group. Uh, Ten new guys. So it's been a little different than what I'm used to. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs>
2: guys are getting them going, though.
0: Yeah. Guys are getting them going. Yeah. But, hey, t- today's show, we got a... We got a, a young buck, man.
3: A, a young buck. <laughs> oh, I don't feel like young no more. Dog. Thirty-four now. Thirty-four now, man. Thirty-two,
2: yeah, yeah, young buck.
0: <laughs> That's made his way, man, and, and I, I'm happy for him uh, to have him on, on the podcast today. It's I, I feel like that parent, you know. Oh <laughs> uh, man, I was claiming you. No, no. That, <laughs> It's one of those, like, I saw I saw this dude come up, and to see where he is now, you know, we talk about it all the time when we talk, but now to have him on here to sort of give him his flowers while he's here and for everybody else to hear it, Uh it's great. So, we got uh Coach Ant Goins on here, assistant coach at Clemson University. Uh AG, appreciate you coming on, man.
3: Oh, man, thank you, man. Like, Again, you've been a good friend to me for a number of years, man. And um, so anything I can do to support dog. And um, you know, obviously you guys are doing some great work. I've listened to to your podcast, man, and learned a lot, you know, from listening to them. So um always grateful for an opportunity to 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 come and you know and, and a fellowship. Nah. Appreciate you coming on. Sure.
0: Well, you know, an story is uh, For me, like I said, I have had a chance to watch him come up in in this game from AAU, kind of similar to myself, actually, you know, the path that uh, he went on, you know, coaching AAU in in New York City and then uh, coaching in the Ivy League uh, and then actually being in the same conference, uh, in the MAC conference at Quinnipiac and now being in the ACC at at Clemson. It's it's been great. And I'll tell you this, I've learned a lot from him. Uh, one of the biggest things though I- I've learned how to have that pocket square in, in my suit. <laughs> okay okay
2: pocket square game is heavy i I, I never hey, saw it man that. Okay. gotta be okay okay all right I gotta check i gotta check that out i got i gotta go on uh synergy or something and look at uh look at some uh some game from check out the pocket square
0: yeah.
3: it-, it is precise okay <laughs> respect respect uh, respect got yeah. you gotta bring it on the sideline when you can yeah. That's- Yes, you do.
0: Well, no, nah, man. Uh, glad glad to have you here uh, on, on this podcast. And if you can, man, just talk a little bit about your time at Clemson and what it is you guys like to do and what you'll share with our listeners and our viewers today.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, again, thanks, man. You know, the 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 path that I've uh, kind of been that was kind of laid out for me a little bit in terms of. You know, I won't say that I've taken, like, opportunities have, you know, come my way, fortunately. Um, Like Marlon said, I coached uh, AAU for the Westchester Hawks. Um, And I think, you know, kind of as we talked about before, our our relationships, um, you know, grow out of being – trying to be genuine. Like, to be honest with you, like, when I was coaching AAU and coaching prep school, you know, did I come to a point where I wanted to coach in college? Yeah. Did I also – realized that, man, I had an opportunity to, to affect some young people's lives, and that was more important than my own personal goals, 100%, 100%. And so, um, you know, uh, to anybody who may be in that position, man, just focus on where you are. Like, we're we're in this business, and, and so many times, because of wins and losses, and, and that's part of the job. You know, you gotta win games. You know, you you lose the sight that, man, like, somebody entrusted you with their child you lose sight of that sometimes. Um, and so, you know, wherever you are, don't lose sight of that. Um, you know, I was fortunate to coach some really, really good players. Some of them all recruited. Um, but, uh, you know, but what, what I never wanted to do was use them for a job. Like I, I, just, I just felt like that was fundamentally wrong on so many levels to use a kid for a job. Um, so I think it, I feel like some of my opportunities have come because I think my heart was in the right place when, when I was, uh, trying to, to move along. Um, but, you know, just entering my second year here at Clemson, man, and it's been an unbelievable experience. Um, obviously the ACC pre- presents a whole new set of challenges, right? Like there's literally, and, and it's like this in every single league. It is, it's, it's like this in every single league. There's no nights off, but. You know, we had a, it's funny, one of my scouts was the North Carolina scout. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this, but like, it was like three days before the game. And one of the other assistants was like, hey, man, you you, you do know that we have like the longest standing losing streak at North Carolina in the entire country. We're, we're 0-59. And I was like, oh, okay. So y'all give me the scout, the 0-59 scout, like, because I'm the new dude. Okay, I get it. I get it. Um, but, um, you know, guys prepared for it hard. We had a great game plan. Um, you know, when we, we finally get over the hump, we beat Carolina at Carolina. Got it done. I remember that. Unbelievable feeling, right? And like everybody's like, oh man, you guys must be going going crazy. And we were. But like that was a Saturday game. We had Duke on Tuesday, mm. to our place. And we, you know, and, and they were ranked number three in the country. And so like you whatever feeling that you had, it was gone Sunday morning. Because yo, man, we got two days to prepare for Duke, you know, and then we beat them. And, like, everybody was like, oh, man, like, that's crazy. Like, y'all y'all must be going nuts. Y'all beat – man, shoot. A couple days later, we had NC State at at NC State. Like, you know, so, like, genuinely there are no nights off. Um, And so your preparation has to be at a high level. Your focus has to be at a high level because you're playing against pros every single night. Um, But it's good. It's good pressure. It's good pressure. Um, But – you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, you know we we try to do here is just be really, really prepared. We we spend a lot of time like focusing on, you know, as many details as possible, um, and then trying to find every advantage possible. Because you know, like your five is is is, is a lot of the times it's it's going to be hard to have a better five than Duke has, than Carolina has, than Louisville has, than Florida State has, like, than Syracuse. To have just, like, a complete five that's better than everybody else. So you got to try to find ways where you can create advantages um, and play off of those things. Um, And one of the things that's been, you know, that I learned actually while I was at Quinnipiac learned it from Baker was, uh, like, guard post-ups. And it's something that I really, really, you know, tried to – implement with my position group, I coached the the big guards um, here at Clemson, tried to implement and bring that with me. Um, And like, I think we kind of started seeing some of the benefits of it. And, uh, you know, we started implementing it a lot in in our offense and, you know, seeing how we can utilize our our versatile personnel um, in terms of guys who were capable of doing those things and having big men that are capable of being on the perimeter and handling and things like that and shooting as well. Uh, and, And how it just made us, just a little bit harder to guard. Just a little bit harder to guard. Um, so, you, you want me to just get right into 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 sharing that? Or? Yeah, the floor is yours. All, yours. All right, I'm interested in seeing this. So, you can uh, you guys can see that, right? Yep. So. Um, you know, this is something that I had shared with my position group. And it was a, it was from an article that I found a few years ago. And again, I don't, I don't take credit for this. Um, you know, uh, Baker showed me a lot of this while I was at Quinnipiac and, you know, I really started to study it more and tried to get better at it. And it was something that he du He did a great job of like coaching the guards on how to, how to do it. Um, you know, when I was at Quinnipiac, we had Cam Young and he was really, really good at it. You know, he, we, we probably posted <laughs> he was he was unbelievable at it like just posting up like he was he was you know fantastic at it um and I I had some other guys that I had coached in prep school Zaid Hurst who played at Quinnipiac as well um he was (laughs) uh, he was really good at it too man like he was just you know but he was like a former post player as in in high school that like turned himself into a guard so he always had that part of it um but we talk about like why do we post up right so Um, you know, as you kind of see from the chart, it talks about, uh, points per possession from off screens, right? So like, you know, you're under one point per possession, just from like a a catch and shoot shot from off screens, Mm -hmm. right? Then you talk about points per possession is just from like a spot up. So you're standing still, somebody reverses you the ball, a spot up catch and shoot shot. So you're about, you know, uh now you're probably at the point where you're about one point per possession, right? Which like majority of the time, if you're getting one point per possession, you're clapping your hands, you know, you're really excited about it. But then you talk about shots from the post, like a pass from the post, and the numbers jump up to pass one point per possession, right? And you think about the the rationale of that is like, normally when the ball goes into the post, um, everybody teaches, okay, jump to the ball. Like you got to dig, you got to scratch, you know, and things like that and all the attention goes there like everybody's looking at it right and so if you create opportunities where you can get somebody open and a pass is coming out to somebody on the perimeter because all the attention get focused on that post up guys are getting they're shooting better off of passes from the post than spot up or off screens which is you know kind of crazy to think about but you also you know I started breaking it down even more is like if you guys go shoot with a guy, um, you know, say you're getting up extra shots with a guy, like the majority of the time, like where are you standing when you pass on the ball? Under the basket. Under the basket. Right. So you practice that every right. single day. So where lot, sh- shooting
2: machines are too. Dr. Dish, the gun. Yep.
3: Balls exactly, come from underneath. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So like it's, you know, um, it's it, it's great if you have a dude who can rebound and pass and you know, but that's not always available, right? That's not always available. Um, so a lot of times, you know, guys growing up, like you, you know, you're getting passes from straight on when you're practicing your shooting, right? So you know, just kind of taking it a step further and thinking about like why this happens, um, and then so you know, just talking about passes out of it, and then you take it a step further and. I know programs that I've been a part of, like we didn't practice that much post defense with the guards. So you get a situation where a guard posts up and the guy guarding him has no idea what to do. He's just gonna put his hands in the air and hope you miss. Or majority of the time, like he's gonna foul you. So you're talking about putting somebody in the bonus, um, you know, without having to do anything crazy, just throw it to a dude in a post or like teach him how to turn it into a post up uh, when he drives. And, and you're creating fouls that way you're creating kickout passes from the paint. It essentially serves as like a paint touch, basically. Like you drove and you got the ball into the paint. You got everybody to stare at you and you get, you get a kickout shot. Um, you know, which is, which is, you know, what, what everybody, we run all of this offense to get that you do, you do all run all of these plays just so you can get somebody into the paint to like, you know, get a kick out three or, you know, be able to get something at the rim or whatever it may be. So, you know, Putting the guards in those situations, and then also like normally your best passers on your team are your guards <laughs> yeah. so if you can create a situation where everybody is staring at your best passer and you got guys on the perimeter that can shoot, you take it any every day mm-hmm. um so it's it's a, another way to kind of create offense for your uh for yourself now it does kind of put onus on you to have guys around him that can shoot. Or, like, it just gets cluttered down and gets really bogged down. But, you know, with today's game, that's the way it's played. Like, bigs are on the perimeter shooting. You want to have perimeter shooting from your, your guards. Um, you know, and then also you, you, you get that where, situation where you're throwing it to a guy in a post and you get guys cutting off of it. And you can get really creative with it, you know, the more you kind of play with it. Um, but, you know, if you go to that next chart and you look back, and this is a few years old, but the the most efficient post up players in the entire country were all guards like in terms of shots from the post pass points per possession like all of these dudes were uh you know well above 1 point per possession like the the uh just their shot alone you know they were getting some dudes were getting 1.2 like Jalen Brunson was getting 1.2 points per possession off of his post-up shots, not kickouts, off of his post-up shots, which the majority of the time, if you're throwing it to a regular post guy, th- there's no shot you're getting that many points per possession.
0: AJ, a- a- if you don't mind, uh, you can give our listeners, so uh, you have this chart here for guard post-ups, who the most efficient guards. I'm guessing this is the 17-18 season, correct?
3: Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, kind of – Eighteen. The eighteen season was the was the last one that they had for this.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, if you could just give the the listeners uh, who were the guards that were most efficient uh, doing it. So I know you, you talked about Cam Young that you guys had at Quinnipiac when you were there. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. Only, if you can just give our listeners uh, the most effective guards uh, that are on this list and their size uh, to prove yeah.
3: the importance of that too. So, first, just in terms of, like, their own shot in the post-up, like, them going to score. Um, Jalen Brunson uh, was a 6'3 guard, was at 1.21 points per possession. Joe Cremo, uh, who was at Albany, a 6'4 guard, uh, was at 0.84 points per possession. You know, and he obviously did, ended up doing a um, a grad transfer year in Nova. Um, Tony Carr, you know, 6'5 guard. Uh, Tavian Kirk at Ohio, six three guard. Jordan Cornish in Tulane, six six guard. Tyler Cole at uh, Central Connecticut, six five guard. Uh, Demarcus Simmons from Georgia State, six three guard. So you're talking about all dudes that were under six six, you know, six five, six six, that were literally the the most efficient post up players in the entire country at that time. Um,
0: the thing I noticed is, as well is uh, you no, know, so like I said, you mentioned Cam Young that, that you guys had at Quinnipiac with Jalen Brunson's a Nova guy. Joe Cremo obviously was at Albany, but then went to Nova. So clearly, Nova saw something in the way that he posted Mm -hmm. these numbers Mm -hmm. that, you know, somehow he fit their style of play. Right. Mar was at Penn State under uh, Coach Chambers, but that Mm -hmm. falls in line with the way Villanova plays as well. And I'm sure that's something that he took with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is this. And, you know, like you said, Coach Dunleavy at Quinnipiac does it and still does it a little bit now. Is this a, a Nova thing or that you've taken with you as well to Clemson or was it something they were doing before you got there and you just added your tweet to it? Um,
3: I, I think they were, they were doing it some already. Um, I think I just, you know, my position group, and Coach does a great job of, like, really putting um, – you know, the the onus on you to really coach your position group. So you're like the head coach of your position group um, within what he wants to do. Right. right. So like, you know, you're, you're working with them on everything. And like it kind of becomes like your little team. Right. So you you get a the opportunity to kind of OK, like trying to think like a head coach when you can or whatever it may be. Um, so that's one of the cool things about being here is like you coach your position group like you, you know, you're all in on those dudes. Um, And and it was something that I just really, really tried to emphasize with them and just give them because, you know, a lot of times they were driving and like they were settling for tough shots. They really didn't have to take. um, And they, but they didn't know what else to get to. So like when you drive and you're stuck, like, okay, what else do I get to? So, you know, a lot of times it ends up being bad shots and things like that. So, me just trying to give them something, another option of getting to something that will allow them to still be effective and create advantages and something to utilize their versatility. So we we, we spent a lot of time working on just being able to turn things into post-ups. And then we run a lot of actions off screens um, where we're, we're cutting our guards into the post. Um, and so teaching them like, okay, like now becomes like a big man thing of like sealing, catching it, but... It's, it's versus a dude who doesn't work on guarding those things. Right. You know? So like it actually becomes easier for you than it is for the big guy. You know what I mean? Um, so we we spent a lot of time trying to work on getting better at those things. But I do think it's something that they already did before I got here. Um, I just tried to put a little bit more emphasis on it with my position group. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that or, you know, some of the things that we kind of talk about you know, in in my position group, right? It's like again, how do we? How can we get to these post ups, right? Off screens or cuts. So like, if I just cut to the rim and the guy's trying to stop my back cut, if I can just turn and post him up now, like he's automatically in the paint with with you, uh, him on your uh you, him on your back, and you get an opportunity to post up, get deep post position, right? So like, we talk about sealing with your hips and feet to get deep post position. So like, turning your hips sealing with your hips and then moving your feet to stay, you know, to, to, to kind of keep that position so that you're not getting pushed out or guys can't get around and things like that. Um, and then, you know, coach talks about all the time, like if you don't call for the ball, that's selfish. Like you have an opportunity to create advantage for our team and you're not calling for the ball, like that's being selfish. Right. And so like calling for the ball and being, and being, um, and just being aggressive with like, yo, man, like I got an opportunity to help the team right now. Like throw me the ball and something good is going to happen. Um, and, you know, as soon as you get that ball, we talk about, like I talked to them about get your chin over your inside shoulder. Right? Um, And like just kind of seeing where everything is, it allows you to see the basket as well, you know, and just kind of, okay, is, is there a double coming? Do I need to get it out of my hands quick? Um, if not, like it's one-on-one and, and let's go score. Let's go be aggressive to score. Uh, And then we talk about again, you know, where a guy drives and you're stuck. Okay, what can I get to next? What do I do next? Like, I I drive baseline, you know, they come over and help, you know, uh, and and like, okay, what, what, or I didn't beat him all the way. Like, do I just settle for a tough, contested fadeaway, you know, 10, 12 footer? Or do I just turn it into a post up? Like, keep my dribble. And you're seeing it a lot more in the NBA. Like, when you guys watch the, you know, you, You'll see it tomorrow in the game. And like you'll look and be like, hey man, like they really do it a lot. Like right. these like the, the dudes in the league, like they drop and they turn it into a post-up every single time. Like some dudes will literally catch it on the arc and just start posting you up.
2: Right. They call it like the bark the Barkley post-up, right? Where you dribble yeah. down, dribble yeah. down
3: into it and start and then turn it into a post-up. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, um for for our guys, like now it's a situation where you're talking about, hey, these are things that if you can do these, it helps you in terms of the next level, right? So, you know, all of these guys want to play at the next level, all of them. So like, okay, let's let's give them things that will help them be successful here, but also give them fundamentals and give them tools that will help them transition to that next level as well. Um, you know, and uh, so we talk about keeping a ball between your hips because when you got a smaller guard on you, you know, as soon as you switch it over to that other hand and it gets outside your hips – now it's a it's a chance for them to go you know kind of poke the ball away and and just be able to reach and get deflections right so keeping the uh, ball between your hips and again getting that head over that uh, over the inside shoulder so that you can see anything kind of coming at you um, here's a couple examples coach can I ask okay. you uh, real quick before
2: uh go to the video so when um your background um obviously you've worked in the, the Ivy League mm-hmm. at two different schools and at Quinn and mm-hmm. your your background uh with the analytics and the breakdown mm-hmm. with the numbers and showing it to the guy when when were you introduced to that when did you start to you know put your spin on it and analyzing things like what you know how was mm-hmm. how was your education and your uh um I guess, um, growth um, using the yeah. numbers and the analytics uh, coming yeah. about in your career?
3: Well, I'll say this. I'm not a, I'm not as crazy about analytics maybe as some other people are. Mm-hmm. You know, I still think a good foul line, 15 foot jump shot. Like if you come off a ball screen and you can get to that, like shoot it, mm-hmm. shoot it. you know, I think, you know, some guys are just unbelievable at mid range jump shots and you got to let them take it. You got to let them take it. So I'm not, you know, maybe as as crazy about the analytics as some other people are, I do use try to use it to support things that are already in my mind, right, and validate it. Um, you know, and and you talk about points per possession and all of those all of those things are language that are just being spoken um, in a game of basketball now. And some people go way far where they like won't take certain shots because they're worried about the points per possession. I'm not on that end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. i'm more so like hey you got to play the game there's certain shots that present themselves and you got to take them and you got to take them now if you practice them it's a good shot for you if you don't practice them that's a bad shot for you and i don't care what position you are you know what i mean like a big that doesn't practice shooting threes and he's shooting threes like that is a bad shot for him um i don't care what the analytics say about it um but i do think having that feel of hey these are shots that we need to take um but also having the analytics support what you uh, what you're trying to do is a is a help. Um, and so, you know, like obviously everybody uses Kim Palm uh, for for one reason or another. And I would never kind of go all the way into the analytics in terms of like do this, but I would try to use it to support what. I, like if I'm watching a scouting report, I'm trying to use it to support what I'm seeing right so like okay here's what I'm seeing like hey this team you know uh really forces a lot of turnovers um but they also fouled a lot and then you go to Kim and you kind of see like hey they foul at a really high rate but you look at their defensive numbers and they're one of the worst teams in the league I had a team that I was scouting like that they were one of the worst teams in the league and defensive three uh two point and three point shooting percentage but they were like first in the league and like turnovers um you know, and like, you know, top three in, in foul percentage. So okay, now in my mind I'm like, all right, this supports what I'm thinking. Where, hey, if you don't turn it over, like you're you're probably gonna get you're probably gonna get a good shot. Right. So like, you know, so I I kind of use analytics to support, you know, my my feelings on things. Um, you know, again, I'm never I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I'm like, don't take a mid-range shot. Like if it's a, a good pull up for you, shoot the pull up, man. Like you know, now I don't believe in shooting a pull-up with your, your, you know, your toes on the line. Like I think, I think that's dumb. But um, for the most part, I, I do try to pay attention to analytics because I think it is a part of the game that you have to know. But I don't think you need to make wholesale changes and completely structure, you know, the way you coach or the way you play solely based off of analytics because there's a feel part to the game that like it's just not shown in the analytics. You know. Um, I don't care how many times you say it's a bad shot. Carmelo Anthony shooting a a face-up 15-foot jump shot is a great shot. (laughs) That is a great shot. So, you know, um, that's kind of my mindset on it. I know some people never pay attention to the analytics, and I think if you don't pay attention to it at all, like, you're kind of behind a little bit. So I think you do have to have a knowledge of it, but I don't think you need to um, completely – do everything based on analytics. Um, And, you know, I going to tell you, sometimes you might look at a lineup and and see, you know, you're like, man, like I don't think this lineup plays together well. And then you go look and you're like, you know what? Like defensively they're giving up over one point per possession and offensively they can't score. Like they're at like 0.75. All right. Like we shouldn't play this lineup together that often. (laughs) Like It just doesn't make sense. So a lot of times the analytics will support what you're already thinking. So those are the situations where I kind of more so pay attention to analytics, if if that makes sense. Absolutely, it's a, it's a tool just like everything else. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so here, um, I was actually you know, not too long ago watching film of, of one of our kids. So the majority of the clips are gonna kind of be of, uh, of him. Um, uh, he's a junior guard for John Newman. But you can see right here versus Georgia Tech where he's posting up um, their guard and literally, like we talked about, like he just has his hands in the air. Like he has no idea really like how to keep him off his spot. And this dude has two feet in the paint. And again, you talk about versatility. Like this is our five man out here at the top of the key. So, and he, and he shot 40% from three and he can handle and pass and things like that. So having that versatility, you know, this dude was a big time shooter. You know, he's kind of crashing right now. But, you know, we, we had an opportunity to keep guys on the perimeter and just allow him to post up. And like they're getting shots, like that's an N1. They're getting shots at the rim and getting fouled. So, you know, again, you talk about um, you know, just trying to create an advantage at different places, right? So we inverted offense a little bit where your five man is in and you start putting guards inside the arc. So you can post them up, but it also opens up the lane because it takes their five away from the away from the basket. That's so a this, protector. And this clip right here, that's our five man that just dribbled up past it. And now he's cutting and, you know, he's basically igniting a drive for him. He's opening up a lane. That's one of our point guards right there standing, you know, on a block. And, you know, Chris likes his five, seven, you know. Uh, so now he's the rim protector at the rim. So when you drive, there's really nobody to stop you. So we, we're we constantly looking for opportunities to create advantages So here again, you know, we, we got a a kind of a true five in the game, but we're, we're posting up one of their guards and we're getting good looks at the rim, you know, because again, he doesn't, don't practice post defense. He doesn't know what to do, but he's surrounded by guys that are ready to make plays on the perimeter. So again, again, you talk about inverted offense, our five man's on the perimeter, you know, he's driving another five man. And as he drives, Again, because most of the time, you know, five men, like they're, they're not used to guarding on a perimeter. So we're able to invert our offense because we got guys that are versatile and allow him to drive. So as he drives, everybody feels like they have to help the five man. It's like when you get a switch, like, you know, with a five on a guard, it's like, hey, man, you got to help him. So it, it kind of creates an emergency situation. So when he drives, everybody kind of draws to him. And now you're getting guards on the perimeter that can get good looks at threes. Right. So here's another opportunity where our guard is posting up, you know, their guard and like they don't want to give away threes. But he there. So they're not helping him. They're not helping him. And a dude who has no idea what to do, how to guard him, like you're just leaving him on an island. So you got as much time and as much space as you want to to try to go score in a post.
0: Now, if you don't mind, AJ, just talk about uh, it looks like for the video, a lot of the clips are with the young man, Newman, like you described, would he be your best post-up player at the guard position? And if so, how important is it now, obviously being in ACC in your non-conference schedule, the guards are a little smaller, but how important is it to have a guy, you know, in that 6'4", 6'5", range? Uh, I'm I'm sure it helps. I know you touched on the chart earlier, but, you know, reemphasize how important that is to – have a guy that size to have a post-up game? Because it's not something that you see often from the guard spot.
3: Yeah. Well, I'll say this. Like, I just I just kind of had these clips. <laughs> um, like, we have other guards that are good at it as well. Um, but, again, you talk about, like, you know, on that chart, the the, the number one name was Jalen Brunson, and he was six three. Mm-hmm. Like, to be honest with you, sometimes it really – you know, unless you're just, like, really, really small. To be honest with you, it really doesn't matter because the guard, he doesn't know what to do he, anyway. You know, that's playing defense. So, you know, you can post a 6 2 guard if he's good at it. You know, you got somebody that can shoot on a, a five man that can shoot, you can pull him out. And now it's one on one in the paint. And like, you're probably going to get a good shot or get fouled. Um, but I do think you just the way the game is going, man, like as many guys that you can have that are versatile, the better off your team is going to be. Gotcha. Like, absolutely. You know, just, and, and that's one thing we try to as best as possible. Uh, recruit and, and bring in and develop is versatility, like shooting, passing, dribbling. We do it with everybody on the team and just trying to create as much versatility, you know, from top to bottom as we can, like small guards knowing how to post up. Now, they may never use it. I don't know, but like just knowing how to do it and creating situations where, you know, guys are becoming more and more versatile. And I think that not not only helps them in the college game, but also helps because that's the way the highest level is going where guards do have to know how to post up. Um, you know, you watch dudes like, you know, Devin Booker's really good at it. Um, Dwayne Wade was really good at it. Uh, you, you, you know, you're just starting to see more and more guards, you know, trying to do it as, uh, as, as often as they can. Um, and so, like, I think the more guys you can get, it's just – it's just about versatility, it's just about versatility. Um, you know, I think it just makes it harder for you to guard, but this is something that John's been working on really, really hard. Um, you know, and, and he's gotten better at it. He still needs to make some strides with it, but I, it, these are just clips that I had of him. So, you know, it's not necessarily, that I, he's like our best one at it. Um, there's other guys that work on it hard too and are, and are going to be really good at it. You know, it's just with the clips that were good for, for him. Um, but here again, so our five man, he's trying to post, but then he sees, okay, John's got to post up. So he's going to space away, um, to that opposite gutter down here and just give him the space to be able to go score. Right. And again, so like that guard, this dude is actually taller than him. Like John's six five. The dude guarding him is like six six, six seven. And like he, he doesn't know what to do. Like you, you just, you're on an island. You're on an island. Right, and then again, you talk about just inverting offense. How many advantages can you create? So here, we're actually that's our uh, uh, one of our six-five point guards. He's trying to post up. You know, he's trying to post up that uh, that guard right there, and we got our five man on the perimeter. And so now their five man has to guard him, and now you're opening up driving lanes for him and allowing him to beat him because you're taking away the the rim protection and you're putting bigs in a situation where they have to guard on the perimeter and try to figure that out. So again, here we are, NC State, post up. You know, you're getting an eight foot shot over somebody that, that doesn't even contest it. Like, he doesn't even get a contest. <laughs> like, you just, you're getting, you're getting close shots. Here we are at Carolina. Like, he doesn't know what to do. So he fouls him and one. And again, like, that dude is actually taller than John. Like, he's, this dude's 6'6, and he gets a shot at the rim for an and one. Coach, I have a couple of questions about about this from a, from a player
2: development standpoint. So, is it something um, that you guys work on every single day with your guards, whether it's pre practice or breakdown um, in practice? And if so, what specifically are you working on? Is it showing a whole bunch of you know showing a whole bunch of moves? You have the guys pick out. Okay, I feel comfortable doing this move, and then maybe giving them a counter. Is it just based on kind of feel or whatever they have? Like what's the, how's the, 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 um, the development piece that you talked about, how does it manifest itself in practice and pre? you know, all, all of the different phases, how, how, how does it manifest itself?
3: I would say I work on it with my position group mm-hmm. um, pretty much every day. Okay. To some extent. And to be honest with you, like, you know, it's driving, turning it into a post-up. Um, it's working on a ceiling off of cuts off of back screens, and getting the ball into the post, um, and teaching them how to get good position. And then sometimes, like we will just stand next to the basket and just do like just hooks, like gotcha. like a big man, like you're just doing right and left hooks at the at the rim, um, and, and and working on those things. And then in terms of like moves, like really, you know, one of the one of the best quotes I had is like you know that uh, that I heard was if you can get to the basket line, you know, some people call it rim line, whatever, mm-hmm. or the mid line you can get to the basket line and shoot a hook straight on from the basket line. Like it takes, it takes no skill for those things. Right. Like like right at the rim, straight on hook, you know, you're just using some touch right there, you know? So we work a lot about like just trying to get to that point because obviously that draws more to defense when you get to that point as well. And you're shooting a straight on hook. And so, all right, if they take that away, like it should be a drop step and go finish. So, I, I, I would say, you know, we work on those two things, like just getting a, a straight on hook with either hand and then a drop step finish, um, you know, uh, probably primarily. Uh, and then I may add like one move, you know, or work on one move with each guy, um, but, you know, not necessarily working on fadeaways or thing like that because uh, I want their mindset is to be aggressive and get through the rim. I don't, I don't want them thinking like fadeaway is an option gotcha Um, because you have an advantage don't shoot a fadeaway like the dude doesn't know how to guard you anyway don't settle for a fadeaway like try to get to the rim or get you know get a hook or get fouled one of the two so will they take it probably am i necessarily going to work on it early on probably not because i don't want to give them an out and like, because if, as soon as you start working on it with them, like that's what they're going to take the path, at least the resistance. So right. they're going to shoot it. And they're like, well, we work on this. So like, I don't even try to put that in there, gang. Um, I just more so like, let's be aggressive to get a shot at the rim. And if you miss it, so what? Like you'll take a, you know, a, a five foot shot at the rim that you miss. You'll take that every single day. That's a good shot. Um, And, but so, you know, let's try to get to the rim or let's try to get fouled. Let's be aggressive. Like let's utilize this opportunity to be aggressive when we have an advantage, when we can, and let's not like put pressure. We got to constantly put pressure on the defense Um, and shooting fadeaways, a contested fadeaway is not putting pressure on the defense. You you got some guys that are talented and can make that shot and, you know, you're going to have dudes and and they're going to do it and that's fine. But, like, their mindset should be like, hey, I'm getting a shot at the rim or I'm getting fouled, one of the two.
2: Now, will you also um, – if a guy, say you're, you're working on it, say he's not the best at it, will you still, um, through the course of a game, or a coach say, okay, let's still get the ball into the post uh, for our guards, Um with the intent of not necessarily him going to score, but more so for a kick out and forcing a low, uh, a long closeout to get, you know, the, to get uh, a basket in another way, or is it pretty much using the advantage of a guy that you feel has a skill level to score? And then if he has to pass, then you do that. Just kind of what's the philosophy on, you know, getting the ball inside. Will you, you use it just as a tool to create other action or is it mainly just try to get a bucket from that, from the guy, the primary guy. And then if he has to pass it, he
3: passes it out. Well, you know, coach talks a lot about like just making reads, right? We never, we never want to do to like, Hey, get the ball in the post and look to pass. Cause teams are smart, right? Like, you know, you got Marlon out there doing scouting reports. He's going to be like, yo, this dude doesn't score. So just don't help. Right. So, um, you know, it's about putting in the time to develop and get better at it. Um, and you know again trying to get fouled and being aggressive and then you know a lot of times what's going to happen is that, that they're going to naturally be drawn to you and make the right read make the right pass because okay I have two people guarding me I don't need to score over two people somebody's open find him and normally he's going to be on the other side of the floor fine get it to him somehow some way you get it to him and let's play out of it and that's going to create a close out it may it may create a wide open three I don't know but like You have to be able to make that decision. You can't just like, hey, we're going to throw it to you and we're throwing it to you so you can pass. Like, no, like, you know, eventually somebody's going to be like, hey, man, they're throwing this in there so they can pass. Don't help. And you're going to have to score. So just teaching them um, how to read when you have people and you need around you and you need to pass, or it's one-on-one, go try to score. Go try to score, you know, or, or get fouled and go to the foul line. And to be honest with you, you really don't have to be that great at it. Again, like most teams aren't practicing a lot of post-defense with their guards. So as long as you can make a layup, like you probably can get a good shot off. (laughs) Gotcha. No, that's great. That's good stuff. Um, So just a couple more clips. Again, we talk about invert and offense. So as you can see, and and we actually led the ACC in in two-point field goal percentage. Um, And, you know, our center was 6'8". Um, but he could shoot, so again, that opens up the paint. So he's on the perimeter, and you get a situation he shoots forty percent from three. So you can't leave him. So like now, the paint starts to open up, and guys become more confident in shots because you start worrying about your uh, your big on the perimeter again. So paint is open, paint is open. Everybody's on the perimeter. All of these dudes are capable of uh, you know making threes. And our five-man gets another five-man. And, and you know, this the dude's guarding him. He's talented. He may play in the league one day. But you, you talk about, okay, you're going to draw a lot of people because they're nervous that he's going to get beat. And now it's just about making the right reads and being aggressive. So, again, you know, again, inverted offense. Our five is on the perimeter still, right? We got a guard inside, right? So you're taking away their post guy. And the lane opens up, and by the time he reacts to it, like, it's too late. It's too late. You got to cover these guys on the perimeter so he can shift out to the perimeter. And he's afraid, again, you know, this dude's super talented, and we knew, hey, he's strong, he's physical, he blocks shots. We got to get him away from the rim if we're going to be able to score at the rim. So, okay, a dude who shoots 40%, and they're telling him, hey, man, you can't let this dude get threes off. So, again, when they drive to the paint, like, you don't have to finish over a big as much. So that's how you end up, you know, leading the the conference in two-point field goal percentage without a dude who's that big on the inside is because, you you know, you teach your guards to be aggressive and to, uh, to attack the rim. And then you take away the decision of, like, do I have to score over a 6'11 dude by bringing him out to the perimeter a lot? So, again, you know, we're able to utilize our advantages of having dudes that are versatile, like right now on the floor. Amir six eight. Uh Tevin was six uh six 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 seven, six four, six four, six 6'5", six five, six five. So like you talk about and, and they all can, you know, make threes. So you got like size across the board, and that, and all all of those dudes would post up, they all would shoot threes, they all would handle it, and so you you know, you you kind of create some type of uh advantage where Okay, maybe maybe they do have a six eleven dude, but like let's see if he can out on the perimeter. Right. So
2: you know.
3: that Make was sure. uh that was all my clips. Okay. But oh,
0: that's good stuff. That's good I, I stuff. like that of you know, it's the way the game's going now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, basing the floor, uh kind of gone are the days of the big man that just stays on the block. And, -hmm. you know, you got to have guys that that can make shots because now that makes it hard for bigger defenders to play on the perimeter because they're not used to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's the way to get the games going now. And a lot of teams are doing it. It's just a matter of who's doing it the best. And, you know, I I think when we were all coming up, it it was funny. Uh, You know, the big guys, they wanted to be guards and – Mm-hmm. So they could handle and, and things of that nature, and and now they're getting that chance. But now the guards are showing that they can post up and, and be just like the, the big guys. So mm-hmm. you know it's the way the game's going. Everybody's adjusting to it, and it's who makes the best adjustment in and will right. we'll have a chance to come out on top. I get it. You gotta have good players too. But yeah, a hundred percent. You can make those adjustments. Uh, kind of gets that nod and that W column.
3: Yeah. And and I think you just got to kind of read what your what your team is because they're, they're teams that still do play with two post guys. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, you know, Carolina do, like they, they're going to roll out with post guys and like they're good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, they still may be able to shoot at times, but, you know, Carolina may play with two post guys that don't shoot. You know, NC State may play with two post guys that don't shoot. And, you know, there's value in that too. I think whatever whatever your team uh, kind of mentality is uh, whatever your uh, kind of philosophy is. I think if everybody's on the same page with it, it'll probably work out. You know, you may, you know, like UVA going to play with two, two post guys. They're going to hard head you every single time beat us,
0: mm-hmm.
3: beat us, you know? And, and so like, that's their philosophy. They're all bought into it. Now I will say that their post dudes can't move. Um, And there's things that that, you know, can can hurt them, you know, in terms of matchups at times. But they make up for it by everybody being on the same page. Um, So I think like I'm not saying like this is the way that you have to play and everybody should be doing this. Like whatever your philosophy is, go with it. You know, as long as everybody's on the same page, uh, then then it'll probably work out. And I think, you know, in terms of uh, just kind of establishing an identity and being able to push forward that identity and your culture and the way you live every single day as a, as a team, um, like that ends up leading to, to success. Um, And, and, you know, this is, this is just something that I've been a part of and kind of the last two places that I've been um, that like I've adopted, you know, and, and tried to kind of bring to the table and try to learn more about and how we can utilize it as an advantage. If I ever become a head coach, would I play that way? Like, I would like to think so, but I also may not have the personnel to do it. So, you know, you got to be able to adapt to your personnel and be able to coach that. Now, if I did have this type of personnel, like you, yeah, I'm definitely using it 100%. Um, and so like, it's about, you know, as a, as a coach, the same thing, trying to be versatile, right? Like, okay, I have this situation where my best two players are my post guys. Are you gonna sit one of them down because no man he can't shoot? No, you're gonna play those dudes, you know. So you gotta be able to find a way to allow them to be who they are and help them be successful and at the same time, you know, uh be able to beat teams that may be playing that way. So then it's about imposing your will on another team and does your culture and your belief and what you do um, you know, kind of beat out their their talent or their versatility.
1: Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, The CoachMaze.com Podcast, The Players Court, and our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, a 305 Culture Miami Heat podcast, Grizz and Grind, and Nuck If You Buck. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA.
0: Your journey has been very versatile. Grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. Went to school in Queens, New York, which. Matt loves.
2: Uh, it always comes back to Queens. It always <laughs> comes
0: back to Queen, Queens. Queens is the spot, man. Queens is the spot. Dude. You know what I, we're not going to do this on, on this.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you see what I have to put up with? Just a constant hate. Not constant hate. that much props today. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now you go from Queens to New England. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, on bleachers and boards we like to combine the two. Basketball, uh, clipboard talk. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, with your versatility, being in three different areas, what was the hip hop scene for you growing up? Then making that transition to Queens, for college, let, let's get it clear. <laughs> and then New England, but now you're back in, in the Carolina, So you kind of seen three different yeah of the hip hop scene T- tell us yeah. a little bit about it and which
3: part was your favorite well you you know what so you know um i'm i'm only 34 so i don't i don't think i'm that old but like you know when i was in in high school and middle school and stuff like that you got realized like you know the the napsters the lime wires like those things were like really starting to you know kind of come to a head So it gave you more access to music, right? right? Like on demand. Whereas in the past, if a song came out in New York, you may not find out about it in the South for a while. Like they may not play it on the radio, you know, whatever it may be. Right. So you're getting access. So I was kind of growing up into that area, uh, in that that era where the, the music was on demand. It was starting to become that point. We didn't have Apple music, but it was starting to become that point. So, um, you know, I n- I'll never forget like my, my stepdad, he was like a big DMX fan. So like, I, I I listened to like a lot of DMX and one of my best friends that lived down the street, man, like, you know, he, he you couldn't tell him he wasn't like the next coming to DMX. And so like, anytime we were somewhere, like we were listening to DMX. Um, and like, it's dark as hell is hot was, you know, still, like I still put that on driving to work sometimes, um, you choice. know. Very good choice. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Wake, it'll wake you up for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> it's gonna wake you up. One hundred percent, man. So like albums like that. Um, so in terms of music, like I was always kind of versatile in high school. Like I was a huge um, diplomats fan. Like you know, love Joel well, Santana, Cam Freaky Ziki, like all all of those dudes. Like I would I would listen to that all the time. But I'd also throw on some reggae at times and. Um, you know, my, my, I never forget my, my older sister, she's four years older than me. Um, but she, uh, she bought the Lord Tariq and Peter Gunn's, uh, album. Um, and, and I would I would literally listen to the Lord Tariq and Peter Gunn's album all the time. Um, so, and they were always rapping about New York and she, she had a New York Yankees Jersey that I would take from from her sometimes and wear to school. Um, we won't, we won't hold that against her, but that's okay. (laughs) But like, you know, so. But, but then you also had a situation, and again, I'm originally from North Carolina, um, but, like, I went to high school, middle school, and then Virginia. So, like, you talk about the clips. Like, like that changed the whole game for Virginia. That changed the whole game. When a grinding song came out, like, you know, I had it on VHS, the whole, the whole like, music video, and, like, was pointing out friends in a music video and things like that. So, you know, you you uh, you kind of had that that element to it too and you know uh the the, the G units but I also again you know you, you start now the music is starting to become even more and more available. Um you know I got into I got into Lil Wayne, I got into um uh the game like you know the music was just so uh you know kind of readily available to you that uh that you know you just listen and respect a good artist. Like still, one of my favorite artists to this day is Joe Button. Like, I think he's one of the most underrated artists to ever kind of come out. Like, it you know, he wasn't. I know everybody thinks of like Pump It Up when you think of Joe Button, but like, you go back to Mood Music, Mood Music One, Mood Music Two, Two Point Five. Like, Mood. I listened to Mood Mood Music Four the other day. Like, and I think the the thing that I respected is that he poured every ounce of himself in. In his songs. Right. And it was a passion about it. And he was willing to be vulnerable. And I think, you know, I respected that about artists that ones that were willing to be vulnerable. Because I always felt like music is just, you know, uh um, it's basically you're listening to your feelings to so somebody else's telling it. Like right. you may be feeling the exact same way but you don't know how to verbalize it or you don't have the platform to do it. And so you connect with things that like, oh man, I felt the same way about this or man, that's real. And so artists that are real, you know, you connect with those people. And I felt like, like Joe Button was real you know, and you, you, again, you have your things that you listen to entertainment wise that you just enjoy, you know, like, you know, shoot, man, I love them franchise boys. Like, you know what I mean? You know, I was like, like, I was, I was banging in my white teeth. You know what I mean? Don't get it twisted. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like that, I think that's the, that's the, the, the South part of me, but also again, man, I, I enjoy, you know, uh, the, the music from up North too. So when I came up to New York, like it, in terms of the music, it wasn't a change for me because I had been listening to it. I've been listening to it. Um, again, man, I had the whole Diplomats album. You know, the the two album joint. I double went to double, double album. Mm-hmm. Double album. Was that, was, that,
2: was that diplomatic community? Yeah, yeah. They, they had yeah.
3: the red album and then another mm. one was uh, Yeah, was the, blue.
2: the second disc. Yep, yeah. Yeah. yeah, one yeah, yeah one
3: disc was red album was blue. Yeah, yeah. And I went, I went to the, I went to the, uh, uh, FYE to buy that. <laughs> yeah. You know what that I, I mean? That was back in the bat be- by CD days. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. But when the dynasty drops, I think I, I came to school late that day. <laughs> the dynasty album. Not know?
0: Bad reason to come to school late. That intro might be one of the best.
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, man, I, I, I kind of got a, a taste. It's funny that I ended up listening to a, like a lot of like New York music. And then I ended up going to school there. Um, you know, I don't know if it you know, it just ended up working out that way, man. But, you know, I, I've always been a huge hip-hop fan. But, you know, also, lo- you know, love some R&B, man. And, and I will say when I came up to New York, I, I – I, you kind of have to get into some Spanish music, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you don't have no choice, you know. Start out with a little reggaeton, and then you know you're like, okay, I, I can kind of rock with this. And then you know, again, my my wife is from Queens, she, and she's Spanish, so now now I jump in there and get a little bachata in too. Okay, okay,
0: all
3: right, all right. I got I got this for you. So you brought up being down
0: in Virginia. You brought up the clips. Mm-hmm. Are you going malice
3: or pusher? Pusher, 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 like I just felt like the the kind of the brashness of him, I would probably say Malice had better lyrics, but I just felt like Pusher was so aggressive and like didn't care, yeah. you know what I mean, like he just, he was like, like I really don't care, like, like, you know, it, it was just like the voice in his, in his, uh, in his music, like it was aggressive, Malice was more the chill, like, You know what I mean? Kind of back in the scenes a little bit. Like I don't need to be on front street. You know, I kind of do my thing or whatever it may be. He was more of the smooth talker type of dude. You know what I mean? Like, and it kind of showed in his lyrics and just the way way he rapped was just like real smooth. His voice never got too high or too low. It just kind of flows. So like when you're in the mood for that and you're listening to it, like it's great like riding music. Cause like, it's just real chill. But Pusha was like, like, uh, like you know, like yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like that was it. that was Pusha, you know what I mean. So, um, so I enjoyed Pusha T, um, but you know, Malice was definitely talented, definitely. I'm not,
2: I'm noticing a pattern. So I feel like you know, and this might be my psychology talking, but and I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like your introduction and what you first got put on to hip hop. Was Dmx right? Mm-hmm. So that aggressiveness, that you know, that that up tempo, that was your. That's how you came in. Came in to start listening to it. So mm-hmm. then now that kind of shaped your preferences. So now if you have to choose between Malice and Pusha T, you're you t- t- tend to uh, prefer that more aggressive style, and that might be because of your introduction to you know, the genre through, uh, you know, guys like DMX. So if that, that could be, you know, that makes sense to
3: me, you know, maybe I'm stretching it too far, but that. No doubt. I think, I think it's all, you know, all kind of plays into together, right? Like, you know, you talk about being a, being aggressive and like going to get what you want, you know what I mean? And, um, and not sitting back. Um, but, you know, again, I think you, you gravitate towards your, the music that appeals to you and, you know, like while I was at St. John's, like, you know, I knew him as Jermaine, but J. Cole was there. Like, man, he was years okay. me. And when I got there, it was like, oh, you from North Carolina? It's another dude here from North Carolina. And so I met him and like, yeah, yeah I'm Jermaine, you know? And, and so you talk about that, that socially conscious college rap, like you're talking about things I can relate to, you know what I mean? And like experiences from being in North Carolina and like coming up to New York and like, hey, man, I'm going to make something myself in this city. You know what I mean? Like, so like, that was the, that was my mindset. So when, when he raps about like, Hey man, like I knew uh, if I could get to New York, like I'm going to take advantage of all the opportunities that some of the dudes in New York take for granted, you know, that, that literally was, that was what I was thinking. That was what I was thinking. Like, I'm going to, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out and I'll make it, you know, some somehow, some way. Um, and I'll maneuver around this city however I need to, to, to do it. Um, and so like, yeah, you know, you do get that aggressive side, you know, to it, but you also get that socially conscious where you're aware of all your surroundings and the, the deeper um, uh, meaning to things, you know, almost like you're paying attention to poetry a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a great. That's great.
0: Man, I, I'll ask you, man. Who are you going with? What's that? Who you,
3: uh, who you t- <laughs> don't mess this up, man. Don't mess it up. dog. I I, I can't uh,
2: see, and I'm gonna have the whole VA mad. I, I don't know, man. I I don't know. I I never. The clips were cool. I like the clips.
3: So listen. But so they, he has a he has a, <laughs> he has a he has a he has a bias because the, the clips oh, are. <laughs> no, no, look. No. So here's the issue. Here's the issue right here. The clips are originally from the Bronx, so there's no way you're gonna get him to choose either one of them. That's true. It's, Right. It's an now, inherent see, difference. It's now, inherent see, don't
0: stay. This is what we do. If it's not Queens, like, that's not. See, see, don't, no, don't, don't, don't go down that road. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. I could be wrong on this, but Matt, correct me on this. He sent out a text today. You know what? It went, he sent out a text earlier, but it's a conversation we've had before. He mm-hmm. just everything queens like that's no no and, and okay go ahead i'm sorry i wanted to interrupt go ahead. for the listeners you <laughs> might be the only guy that has onyx in his top five i
3: that's should i guy. should wrong off this call no no
0: Like, no. no, no, no. why no, why why would you do in that a top no five no no, no no here here's the i that's not he's saying he that hey Onyx is slept on, and I'm like, no, that that is absolute. Yeah, I yes, that's true. I, I just want to know: Are the members of Onyx slept on as actors, or? uh
2: right? see, now you're going to see. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Listen, those guys are slept on. They're from my part of Queens, so of course I'm gonna I'm gonna promote that. No doubt, no and doubt. people try to revise history, like in the early '90s, like Onyx wasn't bringing it. People try to make all oh, Onyx this, you know. They try to, you know, dismiss them now. But I say, if you were listening to early to hip hop in the early nineties, you were an Onyx fan. I don't care what anybody says. But Onyx had it going. <laughs> they had their time. So let's not revise history uh, almost twenty years later and act, you know. Well, actually, more than twenty years later. Let's not act like they were irrelevant. That's not. That's <laughs> not accurate.
0: You have the bald head like Onyx.
2: No, no, <laughs> I did
0: not. No, I did not. Do that. And I
2: was not wearing all black. I wasn't wearing black tims and black Har Har suits and black hoodies. I was not doing that. But
0: Yo, you, then, had, you probably had a pair of the black high tech boots. No, nah, never,
2: never, never. The most Yo, I'll say got- is I probably had I had a black, you know, champion or discus hoodie at one point. That's as, <laughs> as, far, that's as far as it went. I did not have the all black.
3: Yo, man. there's one thing I learned about New York dudes. New York dudes are New York dudes through and through. But see, part of the problem like, is... They were the in problem. New York from head to toe. Like, they are all the way through New York. Like, there is nothing <laughs> breaking them from being... Like, I don't care where they move to or how old they get. They will That's still... Throw, 80-year-old dudes will still go on the New York <laughs> hat. <laughs> and, you know, and a, and a pair of beef and broccoli <laughs> <laughs> We were just talking about that today.
2: I
0: got a pair in the closet.
2: I got a pair in the closet.
0: Right? Oh you throwing a pair of beef and broccoli.
2: <laughs> not as much as I used to, you know, but not as much as I used to. But yeah, but they, 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 it's mandatory. They stay in the closet. That, that's that's like that some,
3: I okay. So I, I I got into that music, but like there was some there's some stuff that I just like the old dirty bastards and mm-hmm. like like I. I I just couldn't get into that. Like that just, just that didn't that didn't appeal to me. But I did love Big L. Mm. One the like
0: best.
3: One the, best. like the, the 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 metaphors that he would drop, like, oh my gosh. Um but like I, I remember I having at, Big L albums, you know what I mean? Like again, and I was might might have been in like the ninth grade. Like mm-hmm. I'm listening listening to that. Um, you know, and then you talk about like when G Unit really started popping, like, right, you know. Lloyd Banks again, just hitting him with, with metaphors, fab. When he first was coming out, like you know, on the mixtape games with the metaphors, and I was just like, my gosh, these dudes mm-hmm. are killing it. Um, yeah. but still would turn on that young buck and ride out, <laughs> like that that young buck, was uh, ca- Cashville, Tennessee, good gosh, man, like that, he used to kill that joint. I- I'm gonna say this young buck's debut album is probably one of the Best, G- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just
0: my, my opinion,
3: I, I think. And, you um, could start that album and not skip a song.
0: Yes. And, and and you are perfectly correct. And you talk about Big L's album. Big Picture is another album that you can play mm-hmm. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this earlier and it really struck me. Joe Budden. A lot of people now think of Joe Budden as the outlandish podcast guy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hip hop, you know, VH1. I, I think he was done wrong by Def Jam with his out because it was a, uh, you know, during that time of two thousand three, two thousand four, everything was so up tempo, like you said. A lot mm-hmm. of Joe Budden think of pump it up, right? You forget the features he used to have on the Clue mixtape. Now, you guys being from Queens, I'll give you guys Clue. Clue did, or, or uh, AG, you're- It always, like I
2: said, it always comes back to Queens. I, I don't know why we have to keep reiterating that. It always comes back to
0: Queens, but go ahead. <laughs> Let's, get to, to point, <laughs> Let's get to my point, man. Let's get to my Joe Bud, that album was a pretty decent album, all right? Mm-hmm. But I think if you would have had, if listeners would have had the DJ Clue, Joe Budden, yeah. Mood Music 1, 2, and 3, Joe Budden, mm-hmm. I think we would talk about him more in a hip-hop sense Yeah, of, of a guy that held his own. Because th- think about it. He was during that time. Him and Fab came up during yeah. all in the, Yeah, all at the same they time. Was, they was on the Clue mixtape all, together. Yeah, all
3: together, Yep. About that triangle offense album that was supposed to come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm I'm still mad at like I I'll never forget on that clue album when nobody knew who Joe Buttons was, and uh he had a song, uh, it was him and Fab, and he had a line. He said, um, he said, for fun, we uh we popped the hood and let the horses out, right? Like and and like everybody kept saying, like, oh, Joe Button, that's really Rasheed Wallace. Like, they thought it was Rasheed Wallace. <laughs> they, didn't <laughs> he, they didn't even know who he was. Yeah. And, like, he just started showing up feature after feature after feature. And you're like, dang. But, you know, like, you talk about all those mood music, all love lost, no love lost, mm-hmm. you know, even even down to, like, you go back to the Joe Button album, and and I I challenge anybody to turn on 10 minutes and not be like,
1: dang, yeah. Like, <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. Ah, it, it it was a, a good time. And, and I think,
0: you know, like I said, people forget, you know, h- how nice he was or, you know, how nice clips were when they mm-hmm. were malice and, and pusher. Or even when you mentioned it, so I'll give him a pass. I'm from Brooklyn. We weren't listening to Dipset. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of how it is on the basketball court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go uptown. Uptown guys don't come to Brooklyn. But mm-hmm. we found a way to stop in Queens, right, Matt? You know always. <laughs>
2: always. You have to. Just like I'm sure Coach was on Jamaica Avenue buying his clue mixtapes because he was right down the block. You know what
3: I mean? That's just... I was. I was. Of, course
1: you, of course you were. So, I know what so you little, were Look, I got I gotta,
3: I gotta, <laughs> to tell, tell you, this was the weirdest thing to me. Coming from the South, when I would come up to New York and I would ask... Um, I never forget, I asked uh you you probably remember Eugene Lawrence Gino. You know? mm-hmm. Um, I was like, hey man, how I get how I get around over here and uh like I was trying to get somewhere, I need to go over here. And he was like, I don't know, I'm from Brooklyn, I'm not from Queens. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then like I'd ask somebody else, yo man, I don't know. I'm from the Bronx, I'm not from Queens. Mm-hmm. Like, and I used to be like, literally, the places are 20 minutes apart. How do you not know anything about what?
2: and because but, that's and that's part of the th- reason why i'm not going to say defensive but that's why i have to always stick up for queens cuz people act like going to queens is like going to a farmer no, country but
3: but but what I what i also realized was like if you're from a borough there's really no need to leave your
2: borough
3: there's no there's no reason ever to go to queens like bronx the bronx miners if you're from brooklyn the bronx might as well be china like, like you don't need to like, get <laughs> far, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's super far. You got to take, you know, mo- you got to take multiple transfers. But that's there, a funny right? thing. It's not
2: really that far
3: miles-wise, it but high. it's
2: but it's between traffic and just yeah. the most it makes it seem like it it's seems, the other end of the
3: world, but no, it it's like, like five, five miles away. <laughs> right? which, is, which was odd to me because in the south, like, If you live in Chesapeake, you know about, you know, okay, I know how to get around Virginia Beach, I know how to get around to Norfolk, Norfolk, you know, some of Portsmouth, um, some of Suffolk, like like I know how to maneuver however I need to in those seven cities, right? If you're from North Carolina, okay, I can get somewhere, you know, um, if I'm from Greensboro, okay, I know a little bit about Raleigh, I can get to places in Charlotte, whatever it may be. But like, if you're from a borough in New York, that's your only world, (laughs) you don't, but the more, but like, coming from somewhere else, like, I I would go everywhere. Like, I was in Queens, man, I'd be in Brooklyn, I'd be in the Bronx, I'd be in Harlem, I'd be in Soho. Like, I was trying to see everything. So I was all over the place, just running around the city. And like, you know, once I figured out the training system, I was like, I'm good, i get wherever I need to. (laughs) That's that's a big part of it.
0: Yeah, man. Hey, Ag, we appreciate this, man. Uh, This was great. This was a good time, you know, learning about, you know, the guards posting up and how effective they are. Uh, For me, like I said earlier, I've watched you, you know, kind of go from the young guy to where you are now, man, and it's been nothing but great and inspiring to me as well. Uh, I know you'll do a great job at Clemson uh, this year. Uh, sidebar, we were trying to play them. They didn't want to play us as well. The contract never came. They said they sent it, but never came.
3: But I don't, I don't handle the scheduling. I don't, <laughs> handle the schedule, don't put me on that. I don't, I don't handle the scheduling. Nah, I, I don't, coach the big guards, dog. That's what I do. <laughs>
0: no, nah, it, it's all good, man. This was fun. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, we'll probably have you back, man, down the road.
3: Man, I, w- I would love to. Thanks again for – Uh, just thinking of me and inviting me on to the call, Um, you know, always, always enjoy, you know, just kind of, you know, talking a little basketball, talking music, man. And, you know, like I said, man, from, from day one, you know, you've, you've been, you know, a supporter, somebody who's always, you know, just reached out and like, Hey man, how you doing type of deal. And, um, you know, I think that's what's made our relationship cool is it's never been about like, what can I get from him or what can, you know, what can I get from him type of deal, man. And, you know, um, I'm always a firm believer, man, that, like every, everything is going to happen on, in the right timing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I saw friends, you know, when I was coaching for free, you know, for, for four years, you know, one at Dartmouth and three at Yale. Um, you know, they were, they were friends of mine that were getting high major assistant jobs that I felt like I was working just as hard as them. And, um, but, like, I think it's just about, like, celebrating those people, and being happy and understanding like, yo my time is gonna come too like don't don't feel no type of way for me, like my time will come when i when it's supposed to, and you know I've always had a ton of respect for for what you do um and how you go about your business man and you know i've 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 probably watched you more than you think I do um you know that's something I try to do is i try to i watch a lot of people um that I respect um and I watch people that like you know I don't wanna be like too. Um, And, and, you know, again, I think all of our quest is to be a head coach one day. Um, And I think the thing that, you know, to kind of help a little bit is to watch people, you know, how they move and interact in certain situations, but then also watch their decision making. Like not, you know, and and I try to watch that like with, with every head coach that I that I work under, not that I would make the same decision as them. But, like, maybe there are some things that they thought about that got them to that decision that I didn't think about. And so, like, I try to watch their decision-making. Like, how did they get to that decision? Because if I'm ever in that situation as a head coach, like, maybe I'm like, oh, okay, like, I, I might do something completely different, mm-hmm. but it might just put a thought in my head. Like, I remember. Like, we didn't necessarily think about this, but we probably should have or whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, I definitely have watched, you know, you um, – you know, watch you with the guys before the game and how you interact with them, how you're going to prepare for games, how you carry yourself on the road, man, and, you know, how you carry yourself in terms of relationships, man. So I've learned a lot, you know, and, and I appreciate you, man. And, you know, what you're doing is 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 great. Um, you know, you and Matt putting this together, man, they give a kind of a platform uh, for for coaches to, to be able to express um, how they – how they coach, express things that they bring to the table, um, but then also be able to have a little bit of barbershop talk. That's, that's, that's dope. Oh, man, that's that's what we did it for, uh, mm-hmm. guys to showcase
0: that other side that people might not know. Uh, I, I think you did that today. I'm sure the listeners will love it and the viewers will love it. So, Matt, it's on you, man. Close us out and we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely.
2: want to thank uh, Coach Anthony Goins for coming on to the, the podcast today. Another episode of Bleaches and Boards here on the Hoop Podcast Network. And uh, we thank you all for checking us out. You can feel free to check out the, the clips that Coach Goins uh, went over uh, and showing the inverted offense on our YouTube page. So please check that out. Uh, like and subscribe uh, on all of our different streaming uh, outlets and uh, look forward to having you again. All right. Take care.
1: get started
0: well that's another episode of bleachers and boards brought to you by the hoop heads podcast don't forget to check us out on twitter instagram and youtube at bleachers and boards until next time see you soon